Hello, everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. We are back after what felt like a very long break again with round 17 at Singapore in a night race. And after this, we only have five races left, which is hard to believe and makes me a little sad to think about. But we will enjoy what is left of the season and stick around for our special topic. We will be doing a Vettel deep dive. He's super great at this track. He is an amazing all-around driver, and as we all know, he is retiring at the end of the season, so we wanted to pay him his due. So stick around to hear all about our King Vettel. As we've mentioned, we are so excited about the merch. We're starting to see it in the wild. We can't wait to see your pictures. Definitely tag us or send us a DM as you get them. It's been super fun to see so far, and we are loving it. And another reminder, as always, to join us on Discord, where the fun action is happening, and of course, Instagram and Twitter at for the girls. And with that, we'll just jump right into it. I'm Tiggy. I'm Chessa. And I'm Sarah. We are so excited for Singapore, but it is an 8 a.m. East Coast start time. So buckle up for that. <laughs> it's a very unique race and it hasn't happened since 2019 due to COVID. So overall, very exciting. This Grand Prix was first held in 2008 and it's famous for being one of the most physically grueling races of the year, and also famous for the fact that it was F1's first ever night race. So it paved the way for Vegas being a night race next year. Yeah. One of the things that's notable about it, it's a super long race because it's it's a long lap to begin with. It's 23 turns. The lap comes in at just over five kilometers. But instead of accounting for that by reducing the lap count for the full race, the lap count is still high at 61. So it takes almost the full two hours to complete this race. The circuit's called the Marina Bay Street Circuit. It's really spectacular. It's in downtown Singapore and it runs really close to tall towers and famous hotels. There's even a huge Ferris wheel right next to the track. And some people can see the track from their offices, which is crazy. If you're, yeah, I guess it's nighttime there, but I hope I would never be in the office uh, at 8 p.m. on a Sunday night. But still, (laughs) everyone probably goes into their office for this. It'd be so fun. (laughs) That would be so fun, like office watch parties. Wow. The only equivalent we have here is watching the Macy's Day Parade from your office in Herald Square. (laughs) I would not call that an equivalent. I wish. (laughs) Anyways, yes, very, very interesting to be able to watch from the office. The track is quite narrow like most street circuits are, but one thing that's a bit unique is it has three DRS zones, which not that many tracks have that, so that's very exciting. There's 23 corners, so there's many more gear changes and braking zones compared to the average circuit. Watch out for turns 10 to 13. They're quite difficult since it's a bit of a rapid-fire, fast and twisty section. Turn 18 is under a grandstand, which is also fun. Another thing to keep in mind here, like we talked about, is it's a night race. So there's a very unique schedule around this. They shift the whole thing. So on Friday, FP1 is actually at 6 p.m. local time, and then FP2 will be at 9 p.m. And then on Saturday, FP3 is at 6, quality is at 9 p.m., and then the race on Sunday is at 8 p.m. local time. So this is yet another hurdle that the drivers have to overcome. So not only are they adjusting to like the crazy weather and the strenuous nature of this race, they also have to deal with with jet lag and just general routines. What's interesting is that some drivers will actually just stay on European time instead of having to adjust to this this time. So they'll 
stay up until 5 a.m. Singapore time, and then sleep until noon. Very interesting. Wow. Some very eventful moments have happened here at Singapore, many of which have involved Alonso, which is pretty funny. Um, In 2013, Mark Weber was driving for Red Bull and his car broke down on the last lap. He was friends with Alonso, still is, and after the race, climbed onto Alonso's car, just perched right by Alonso's head to hitch a ride back to the pits, which was super unsafe. And the Mercedes drivers at the time almost hit Weber accidentally. So that was a wild event. And Definitely then Google a video. It was one of those things of just like, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> Unclear. Just- Two friends taking a joyride back to the pits. Uh, (laughs) It's like the extreme version of riding on someone's bike handlebars. (laughs) Totally. And then most famously was Alonso's 2008 Crashgate scandal, which you guys have probably heard of or seen memes about, but... At the time, Alonso was racing for Renault alongside Nelson Piquet Jr., who we've talked about on this podcast, if that name sounds familiar, the son of Piquet Sr. and the brother of Kelly Piquet, Max's girlfriend. And Piquet Jr. had a big solo crash into the wall during the 2008 Grand Prix, and that caused a full safety car. The safety car was a huge help to Alonso, and Alonso got a surprise victory. And then about a year later, Renault didn't renew PK Jr.'s contract and went public against Renault and claimed that Renault had ordered him to crash in order to help Alonso. And in a truly shocking moment, Renault declined to fight the FIA conspiracy allegations, which is just wild. So the FIA suspended Renault from F1 for two years. The two senior Renault executives, the managing director and the executive director of engineering, received bans as well. And it all around was just one of the biggest all-time scandals in F1 history. Definitely read about it. It was pretty crazy. And I can't think of anything that crazy that's happened since. Definitely crazy. And then the last race was in 2019 because of COVID. And Vettel won. He was having a bit of a struggle bus season with Ferrari. So this was a really big moment for him. He's amazing at this track. He has the most wins here with five. Leclerc was on pole and was leading the race when about 20 laps in, Ferrari pitted Vettel first, and then Vettel undercut Leclerc. So Leclerc pitted a few laps later, and the two Ferraris were side-by-side as Leclerc came out of the pits, but Vettel just pulled ahead. Charles was very upset on the radio at the team, but then Charles later said he overreacted and that he needed to, quote, shut up, (laughs) again, telling himself to shut up. And (laughs) in terms of... Other events in the race, Grosjean and Russell had a crash. If you're new and don't remember Grosjean, he was very crash prone. And this caused a full safety car. There was Ferrari infighting on the restart because Leclerc wanted to be able to fight Vettel for the win, but they were told not to take risks. As we'll mention later, Vettel and Leclerc did not really get along in 2019. So this was a bit of an example of that. The final results were Vettel, Leclerc, Verstappen, Hamilton, Bottas, Albon Norris, and then Gasly. Let's talk about the race for this year and what we can expect. As we've mentioned, this is the most physically demanding race. So the drivers who are super in shape and prepared will definitely have a better shot. Even though it is a night race, the weather is super hot and super humid, and it could reach over 30 degrees Celsius or over 85 degrees Fahrenheit on race day, and the humidity can get up to 80%, something that I would definitely not enjoy. It's crazy though, it's 85 degrees Fahrenheit can translate to a cockpit temperature of around 140 degrees Fahrenheit, 60 degrees Celsius, which is absolutely crazy. That's insane. 
Yeah, wow. I don't think I've ever actually experienced that except for maybe being in a sauna. Imagine two hours in a sauna. What? And yeah. they're in fireproof suits and they're doing cardio the whole time because it's such a oh. hard track to drive. <laughs> oh, I'm just not – I can't even fathom it. Um, but if you guys have been on Instagram this week, this is why you saw literally every single driver posting their their prep. They're doing like cardio in a steam room. Everyone was posting pictures of it. Botas had a very hilarious response. He posted a video in a sauna naked <laughs> as per usual wearing this little funny Viking hat. And he said, quote, Singapore prep for some, Finnish daily ritual for others. <laughs> Legend. He's definitely the most physically prepared. <laughs> but basically to train, the drivers have just been working out in saunas, wearing tons of layers and just trying to replicate this very intense situation that's going to be happening in Singapore. And then at the race, you'll see up until right before they get in the car, they'll be wearing cooling vests with like ice packs in them to basically get themselves as ready as they can. Oh my gosh. And then on top of the temperatures, the race itself, as we mentioned, is quite long. And then on top of that, with so many corners per lap, 23 corners, that the drivers barely have any break moments to just sort of relax on the straight. So it's a bit of a survival of the fittest out there. The circuit is also a bit bumpy given the the street track nature. Probably bad news for teams like Mercedes that have struggled with bottoming out the car this season and even before this generation of ground effect cars, drivers would comment on how bumpy the circuit can be. And Lando said he expects this to be a big issue in these cars. And then on top of that, there are also some big curb moments on corner exits. And as you can imagine, it's also not great to be flying off curbs when the car is so close to the ground. So given all of these things, there's been a full safety car at every Singapore Grand Prix. So watch out for that. It, it makes sense since it's a narrow street circuit and on those sorts of circuits, it's just so hard to avoid collisions and debris and there aren't many places for cars with issues to pull over. And then to add fuel to the fire, there's a high chance of rain this weekend, which is Ooh. extra, extra spicy. I'm so pumped. Wow. It would kind of, this is one of those tracks where it would kind of be a disaster if it rains. I feel like the race would just never get started because it would just be safety car, safety car, safety car, red flag. <laughs> yeah, it's like Monaco this year all over again. So we'll go through by teams and then we'll talk a bit more about the driver market when we get to the news. For Ferrari, hopefully this race goes better than their fashion show did. <laughs> Ferrari did its third ever fashion show at Milan Fashion Week, and things were a bit strange. Some of the looks were jumpsuits that looked just like those yellow racing suits that Carlos and Charles wore recently, which is cool. But many of the other looks were a bit funky, to say the least. Definitely Google it. One example is... You know that performance long sleeve shirt that the drivers wear under their race suit, that little mock neck one? Yeah. Imagine that on the <laughs> runway, but paired with heels and a yellow and green skirt. <laughs> In terms of Red Bull, mathematically, Max could win the title here, but it's not really that likely. He would need to win and get fastest lap, which probably does seem likely. But at the same time, Charles would need to finish P8 or lower. And then at the same time, Checo would also have to finish off the podium. So probably not going to happen, but definitely something to keep in mind if Charles and Checo both end up having bad races. Okay, let's not talk that into existence. That would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I like don't want the season to quote end this early. 
for Mercedes, they historically have not done that great here, even in the years when their car was like a rocket ship and, and perfect. And then add that to the fact that, like we mentioned, the bumps are going to be really bad this year. And just given where their car is at, it's not going to be ideal. So things aren't looking great. George mentioned this. He also added that Mercedes overall hasn't done well at street circuits in particular this season. Yes, I don't think any of us are going to be putting them on our on our hot takes for, for the win. But on the bright side, George and his girlfriend, Carmen, were with Roger Federer and at his final match before retiring. So life isn't too bad for George and the Mercedes crew. <laughs> yeah, and a note on Federer retiring, I think a lot of people are super sad about that. I had people like crying at work <laughs> really? talking wow. about Federer retiring. I mean, he's a great – he is like – one of the best of all time. People love him. And he's, yeah, I think a lot of people are sad about that. Um, I get that objectively, but tennis just doesn't really do it for me. I don't know. (laughs) I've started to get into tennis, like trying to, trying to be better at it playing, but I I get that. It's not, it's no formula one. Let's be real. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So for Alpine, Alpine is bringing a big aero upgrade. Both Alpine drivers were really hyping themselves up this week. Alonso said that Alpine has, quote, overachieved against McLaren compared to what they thought was possible, which is probably true. I think that's probably an objective statement. Uh, But more interestingly, Ocon essentially said to Motorsport that he thinks he's underrated. He also said, quote, if I look at Fernando's career, the only teammate at his level was Lewis. Everyone else has not done better than me. (laughs) <laughs> which Alonso's teammates have included the very decorated Felipe Massa, Kimi Raikkonen, and Jensen Button. Button is a former world champion for reference. And, <laughs> and then Button responded to a tweet of the article and just tweeted, I will have to disagree. <laughs> so spiciness there, which is hilarious. We all need this confidence of Alcon. I'm going to take that into my week. <laughs> Amazing. And in terms of Haas, in a plot twist, the one and only Kevin Magnuson has a lap record at this circuit from 2018. So watch out for him this weekend, expecting big things from K-Mag. I also, everyone manifest for Mick because he has really struggled on some of these narrow street circuits, like his huge crash in Saudi this year. And then he also had a big crash in Monaco. So hopefully he can keep it together since he's really fighting for his F1 future right now. McLaren, they have a special livery for Singapore and Japan, which is a little funky looking, but it does have some hot pink, which we love, of course. (laughs) Lando was on Beyond the Grid this week and made another subtle or not so subtle dig at Danny. He basically said that it's been talked about that Danny's driving style doesn't suit the car. And he said, quote, everyone thinks I do suit the car and the car's made around me, but it couldn't be more untrue. He added that the car is, quote, very unsuited to my driving style and that at the beginning of the season, quote, it suited Daniel a lot more than it suited me. But then he closed it out with, quote, I am coping with or adapted to it a lot more now. I would say more well suited to it. So (laughs) kind of to me, it just feels like kind of kicking Danny when he's down. Like, fine, you can make one comment about how you also had to adapt. But I don't know if you need to say all of that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess for him, like, he doesn't want to be known this season as like the driver who had the better car for him. And like everybody's been talking about Daniel and not about Lando. So maybe he feels like he needs to sort of like put his elbows out a little bit. <laughs> That's a good True. point. 
That's a very good point. Alpha Tauri, big news. Yuki re-signed with them. So hopefully ha- him having a contract for next year will help him focus on performance and not getting his pe- getting penalties and having his radio meltdowns. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit of stability will help on that front. And on the other hand, Pierre is sort of still auditioning for Alpine if Alpha Tauri could find a replacement. So the pressure's on and these are like one of the last few things to play out in terms of driver contracts for next year. So hopefully he'll have an excellent race and show what he what he can bring. For Williams, as we discussed in our last episode, Albon is trying to make enough of a physical recovery to race here, but that is a huge order given just how demanding this track is. Hopefully he only races if he's in top shape and is giving himself enough time to recover from the scary situation he was in. And then in any event, uh, Nick DeVries will be on call for Williams to fill in if needed. Yeah, I was. people were saying about that. I think people kind of hope Nick DeVries doesn't stand in because he's like ended on such a high note or maybe end is the wrong word, but he went out on such a high note with Williams in that first race. And like, can he can he reach that again in a second race or was like the hype going to die down? So I wonder if he just hopes not to to do another race, but maybe not. Last couple teams, Aston Martin, Vettel, like we said, historically super strong on this track and has the record of five wins here. So keep an eye on him this weekend. Hopefully this can be a super strong performance that redeems his season a bit because the team has really been letting him down uh, for lack of a better term. And then finally, Alfa Romeo. So as we saw, Joe also resigned this week. Hopefully with its driver lineup set, the team can really drill down and focus on performance. Botas is certainly ready from his lifetime of sauna prep. So we expect big things from him. And hopefully (laughs) Joe will also be coming in with a lot of confidence. So let's just pray that their car works. (laughs) For our hot takes and predictions, mine is a double Red Bull podium. And then I think this is just manifesting for their sake, but I'm going to say Mick and Danny in the points, both of them. Ooh, maybe that'll be enough to get them seats. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with a double Ferrari podium. I feel like Charles and Carlos are definitely the type to over-prepare for the physical demands of this race. And I don't know, I feel like they were they were not out like partying or doing anything else. I feel like they were, they were really heads down preparing for this. So I'm going to go with a double Ferrari podium for them. And I'm going to say Vettel and both Alpines in the top 10 Vettel because he's notoriously great at this track. And I really want a good final handful of races for him. And then Alpines come in with a big upgrade. Their confidence is top notch this week. So <laughs> fingers crossed for them. I like that. Um, I'm I'm going to take Max out of P1 for my hot take because I saw pictures of him out partying while everyone else was grinding, <laughs> getting ready. So I don't know if he's going to be tip top shape. So I'll say Charles for P1, Max P2 because I'm trying to be a little bit realistic. And then I'm going to throw a wild card in there like Danny would be really fun, but probably highly unlikely, more likely than not an Alpine, um, maybe Checo. Let's jump into some news this week. The driver market, we've been talking about this forever because it's the most important thing going on right now. Um, Just kidding. But as expected, Joe and Yuki, they're confirmed to stay in their seats for 2023. And unsurprisingly, nail in the coffin, it happened. Latifi 
or it was announced that Latifi will be leaving. So Joss Capito's statement mentioned Latifi as a team player, but didn't say anything about his driving. We have been tough on Latifi all season, but um, that is extra tough on Joss Capito. I mean, he's a Formula One driver. He's not like not doing anything, you know. Luke Smith at Autosport actually wrote an interesting article called Why Latifi's F1 Career Deserved Better Than Becoming an Internet Meme. He pointed out that Latifi received global harassment after Abu Dhabi last year and how that, of course, probably impacted the start to his season this year. Plus, of course, it's not easy to drive in a Williams, so he's definitely getting the short end of the stick, um, and we probably <laughs> are also a little hard on him. But we did a poll on Instagram of who you all think is going to get Latifi's seat. So Logan Sargent got 10%, Danny got 16%, and then Nick DeVries overwhelmingly won at 72%. So someone call Williams. The people have spoken. <laughs> Everything is set for next year. <laughs> In terms of open seats, we have one at Alpine, one at Haas, one at Williams, and one at AlphaTauri, but only if Gasly goes to Alpine. It's becoming a little bit more clear that maybe the reason why it seems Haas might drop Mick is due to tensions between him and the team. Gunther seems pretty clearly unhappy with him. The Haas chief race engineer said in an interview with a German outlet that Mick's behavior during the Austrian Grand Prix sprint wasn't great and that his reaction wasn't great either. And this was when there was a bit of a team orders kerfuffle the chief engineer also said that Mick can focus too much on KMAG, which is interesting. So who knows what's going on behind the scenes there. But uh, yeah, some tensions, it seems. In terms of Alpine, in an interview with Racing News 365, Rossi, the Alpine CEO, said that Alpine were still looking at six potential drivers. And notably, he said that, quote, some are not yet completely free to make a switch, which definitely seems like a reference to Gasly. And of course, we have to mention Danny Rick, sad. He said on an Australian radio show that he'd be open to take take next year off if he could get a 2024 seat, but he definitely does not seem to be in the mindset of retiring, which is nice. Another option for him could be potentially looking to be a reserve driver at a top team like Mercedes, but Lewis said that Danny is, quote, far too talented for that. I'm here for Lewis hyping Danny up. I like that. Yeah, I love it. Love that. And in unrelated news, it was announced that there will be six sprint races for 2023 onwards. We did a poll on Instagram for how we feel about this. And at the time we recorded this, it was a perfect 50-50 split between the more the merrier and too many. So you all are divided on the sprint races, which kind of reflects how a lot of people in F1 generally are divided about it. How do you guys feel? I waffle. I overall like sprint races, which can be a hot take, but I think they're fun. Mixes up the weekend. It's a challenge for the teams to get less practice. So I I like them. Yeah, I think this is definitely a play for the spectatorship. And I think as people, more and more people start to watch Formula One, they expect more and more sort of like drama and things happening the whole weekend. So I think that's probably a play for that. Um, I for one think it's fun, so I'm not mad. Yeah, I feel like six seems like so many to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm more of a traditionalist, but I feel like sprint races are just so chaotic and hectic, potentially causes a lot of damage for the teams, and it's like a lot of money to fix that. So I don't know. Maybe that's me being a Scrooge, but (laughs) I feel like it's quite a lot. No, I think that's a fair point. And also, a lot of people point out the fact that 
the sprint can kind of reorganize the grid if there's a fun qualifying. So for example, if qualifying's rainy and we get something crazy like K-Mag on the second row, then the sprint gives it a chance for the fast cars at the back to make their way through again and then have kind of a quote unquote normal grid for Sunday. Whereas without the sprint, it could have been just a fun, different grid for Sunday. So I think that's fair, but I don't know. I still think they're fun. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know how much in reality that's, that happens, but maybe maybe it does a bit. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm still here for it. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Women's health is so important, and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. Let's jump into our special section, the Vettel Deep Dive. Vettel is a four-time world champion. He is now the eco-friendly dad of the paddock, so we figured it was time to give him his moment especially since now he only has a handful of races. Only four other drivers have won four world championships. We have Juan Manuel Fangio, Elaine Prost, and then, of course, Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton. So Seb is right there up at the top of the F1 all-time records. He's third behind Lewis and Schumacher for most wins at 53. He's also third behind them in most podium finishes with 122. It's insane. He also holds a few big records himself, including the youngest ever pole sitter at 21, the youngest ever world champion at 23, and the most consecutive wins with nine consecutive victories in 2013. Wow. 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 That's a lot of stats. Um, So a little bit about Seb's background. He is 35. He was born in 1987 in Heppenheim, which was in then West Germany. His childhood hero was Michael Schumacher. There's an adorable photo of baby Seb meeting Schumacher at a karting event, which is very cute. He had a very successful karting career as a kid and then raced in Formula BMW, Formula 3, and Formula Renault before making his F1 debut for BMW Sauber in 2007. He was immediately impressive, and Toro Rosso signed him mid-season in 2007, so making a name for himself right off the bat. In terms of his F1 career, so the Toro Rosso year, 2007 to 2008, 
As a reminder, this team is now Alpha Tauri, and this is the Red Bull junior team. He didn't have a super smooth start. In 2007, Vettel caused a big accident when he rear-ended Red Bull driver Mark Webber, who freaked out, and Vettel was seen crying in the garage. In 2008, Toro Rosso didn't have an amazing car, but there were some huge moments for Vettel, like at Monza when he became the youngest pole sitter and winner ever at the time. Max has since broken the record of youngest race winner ever, but Vettel is still the youngest pole sitter ever. Then in 2009, Seb was promoted to the main Red Bull team. He ended up staying there through the 2014 season, and those were his peak years. He drove with the Australian Mark Webber, whose name you might have heard this year a bit as Piastri's manager. In 2009, Seb was consistently at the front of the grid. He was in the mix for the championship, but then lost to Jensen Button and finished P2 in the championship. 2010 was a super exciting season. There was really fierce competition in the championship, including between Seb and Weber, but Vettel prevailed over several other drivers to win his first world title. There was definitely some intra-team rivalry going on at Red Bull. Vettel and Weber crashed in Turkey. Vettel freaked on the radio and famously said, quote, I'm going home. This was seen as a big turning point because Red Bull kind of publicly backed Vettel. So that was seen as a bit of a subtle statement that Vettel was their number one driver. And this became more clear over the course of the season at the British Grand Prix, Vettel's upgraded front wing broke. So they took the upgraded version of the front wing off Weber's car and gave it to Vettel. <laughs> Whoa. And at the final race of the season, which was Abu Dhabi, there were four drivers who could potentially win the title, Vettel, Weber, Lewis, and Alonso. Imagine if we had that this year. That would be so fun if I wish. Red Bull oh. and both Ferrari drivers could win at the last race. A dream. Crazy. And Vettel ended up winning, but it was so close. He beat Alonso in the championship by only four points. Wow. Wow. In 2011, he won the world title again. This time, much more dominant fashion. He beat Jensen Button in P2 by over 120 points, and then he wrapped up the title in Japan, the third to last race. This is sounding like this year. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) In 2012, he won the world title a third time. This was a little bit different. He had had a tougher start to the season, but then had a great comeback. He won that title in the final race, so a lot more exciting. In that race, Schumacher, his hero, who, who basically became his friend and mentor in the paddock, let him pass pretty easily, so it was a lovely moment to watch. Then in 2013, fourth consecutive world title, again beating Weber for the fourth time, but not without controversy, This was the year of the infamous multi-21 Red Bull incident when Seb ignored team orders to stay behind Weber at the Malaysian Grand Prix. Nine wins in a row, though, from the end of summer break until the end of the season, which is just insane. Vettel, he got 13 total wins that season, which is tied with Schumacher for the most wins ever in a season. Max is coming after this record this year. He's won 11 races so far. But Vettel and Schumacher accomplished it in shorter seasons. Vettel won 13 out of 19 races in 2013. But his dominance, we we have to mention that it was controversial at this time. When he wrapped up the title at the Indian Grand Prix, he did a huge celebration and whipped a bunch of donuts and got fined by the FIA. So (laughs) a little bit of uh, a celebration moment gone wrong, I guess. And... 
as a Car Magazine UK article from 2013 put it, his nine-win streak, quote, divided F1 fans. The article also said no amount of post-race donuts can disguise the fact he isn't adored by fans, which (laughs) how times have changed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. I think we've talked about this, but definitely seems to be a theme that I think any driver when they're at their peak, whether it's Lewis or Max or Seb, when they're at that peak of winning titles, they're just not super liked because I think in order to win, you have to be super elbows out. And it's funny. It's just so funny seeing that transition to now. (laughs) And in 2014, sadly, this was a big struggle bus year for him. This was the start of the big regulation changes in the turbo hybrid era. And Red Bull did not do a good job adapting and really did not have a good car Weber was also replaced by Daniel Ricardo, and Danny adapted much better to the new car than Vettel did. At one point, Vettel received team orders to let Ricardo through, and Vettel ignored them, but then Danny passed him anyways. So I think after this, Vettel was a bit over it and ready to move on. See, Danny had it in him to adapt very quickly to a new car. (laughs) Where is that, Danny? Where is that this year? (laughs) 2015 to 2020, these were the years that Vettel was at Ferrari, in part probably due to the vibes at Red Bull, and in part probably because Ferrari was probably paying him the big bucks. He drove alongside Kimi Raikkonen from 2015 to 2018. He was P3 in the championship in 2015 and then P4 behind Danny. In, in 2016. And then in 27 and 2018, Ferrari mounted title campaigns against Lewis, but they fell short both times. In 2017, Vettel notably had this big fight with Hamilton and Baku and seemingly hit Hamilton on purpose, got a 10-second penalty, um, and then he ended up taking up responsibility and apologizing. He finished P2 in that championship behind Hamilton And then in 2018, that rivalry continued. Seb again finished P2 in the championship to Lewis. He's been a bit vindicated by Ferrari's blunders this year. At this time, people often blame Seb for making mistakes, but now people are saying, okay, well, maybe it was Ferrari that always had the problems and the whole strategy (laughs) team and the reliability problems. Then in 2019, Charles showed up on the scene. Ferrari continued to struggle with reliability this year after a breakdown at the Russian Grand Prix. Vettel yelled on the radio, bring back the bleeping V12s. (laughs) (laughs) Seb and Charles didn't always get along as was documented on Drive to Survive, likely due to the fact that Charles quickly started outperforming Vettel. Leclerc ended up beating Vettel in the championship, but it was overall disappointing for Ferrari with a P4 and P5 finish. And we get to 2020, just bad vibes all around. The 2019 Ferrari was essentially illegal, and so the 2020 car was pretty much trash, for lack of a better word. Ferrari announced that Seb would be leaving at the end of the season before this season even started, and there was clearly no love lost between Seb and the team. So that brings us to the present day, 2021-2022. He is with Aston Martin. Life with the Strolls has been a bit underwhelming, but... (laughs) It sounds like a reality TV show, (laughs) Life with the Strolls. Life with the Strolls. At least he's been highly paid for it, and I I wouldn't say he's going out with a bang in terms of his racing career, but in terms of his image and you know the fans loving him and his reputation, he's going out with a bang for sure, and we will definitely sorely miss him. Yeah, I'm definitely happy that 
not that it's good that Ferrari is having these issues, but I think there's been a lot of commentary of how Seb kind of like Charles had made some driving errors and got blamed a lot for losing the championship to Lewis those years. But there were also so many issues on the Ferrari side. And so now people are talking about that more. And also we've talked about this, but Seb would kind of make his own strategy calls on the radio and people at the time were kind of like, what's going on? And now people are just saying, oh, of course, you have to tell (laughs) Ferrari what to do because they don't know what's going on. Yes. In terms of his personal life, Vettel's very private, probably the single most private driver on the grid about his personal life. Up until he famously created that Instagram account this year, he was the only driver without social media. He married his wife, Hannah Prater, in 2019. She also has no social media, at least not publicly known. She's never spotted in the paddock. And in addition to having no social media, Seb barely does any endorsements, if any endorsements at all, again, really setting him apart from most of the grid. Him and his wife have three kids. They live in Switzerland and are very low-key overall. But Vettel, apart from Hamilton, is much more outspoken than the rest of the grid on other issues such as the environment and LGBTQ plus rights. Hamilton has spoken out about how much he appreciates that Vettel is also super outspoken on these issues. This has kind of developed Seb's personality as Uncle Seb in the last few years in the paddock. Yeah, he's like the wise, the wise old man <laughs> at the paddock. He's had some pretty amazing moments. I think it was in 2021 after the the GP at Silverstone. He stayed behind after the race to clean up trash, and he's done that a few times since, which is pretty amazing. Before the Saudi Grand Prix, which has been highly criticized due to the human rights record in Saudi, he held a women's only go-kart race to promote gender equality. He also wore an awesome same love shirt last year, supporting and recognizing LGBTQ rights at the race in Hungary last year, kind of in protest of their more recent anti LGBTQ legislation. So I'd highly I actually went on his website and I would highly recommend everyone go on it. Um it covers all of this all of his sustainability initiatives and all of his stories and things that he's wanting to focus on more after he retires. So he's, he's really doing good stuff. He is, which brings us to his retirement. As we have talked about and many of you already know, he announced his retirement via Instagram at the end of the 2022 season in July. He made a very sweet video about his decision. He loves chocolate and <laughs> blue and posted it on Instagram as his only post with the hashtag that there is still a race to win. And in keeping with the classic Uncle Seb personality we know today, he emphasized that he is leaving F1 to spend more time with his family and focus on his other interests, namely the environment, which is awesome. We love to hear that. And it was all just very poetic. Highly recommend watching it if you haven't. And again, we will miss him, but so excited to see him out there leading the charge on a lot of these other issues and using the platform he has. So with that, we are so excited for the race this weekend in Singapore, and we will catch you guys on the other side for a recap. 